let's not call them sad books though. Let's let's just call them life reality relationship books. I don't know what the right <laughs> term is. Like... Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 137. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, today's guest, Lee Kramer, is a longtime friend, a blogger, a formal medical social worker, and the author of a brand new novel about life, love, and loss called A Storied Life. Today, Lee and I are focusing on a tough, nuanced topic. We're talking about grief. I love this conversation and think you will too, but you should know that some of the books we discuss grapple with things like cancer, death, miscarriage, and other kinds of trauma. If you know these topics are triggering for you or if you are currently recovering from a loss, please take care of yourself by listening with caution or simply putting this episode aside for a later time. Like Lee and I discussed today, grief is an essential underpinning in so many of our favorite stories. And today we talk about why that is. I assure you, though, that not everything we talk about today will be a bummer, but we're definitely not avoiding the hard stuff. So if you're sticking with us, let's take a deep breath and dive into some big-time bibliotherapy. Lee, welcome to the show. It's so great to be back. We last talked for What Should I Read Next in episode nine. And you know, back then I recommended a book that I've seen you talk about a lot since then, which is Tell Me Three Things by Julie Buxbaum, which is very fitting given the content of today's show. I talked to Roxanne Cody the bookseller at RJ Julia's in Connecticut back in episode 126, so 10 episodes ago. And we talked about books that appeal to your head and your heart. She talked about a book called Grief Works, and we discussed how grief is not a topic that you see covered as much as it should be in literature. And then you sent me a message that said, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Are you sure? And here we are. Here we are to talk about it. I think I'm I'm naturally drawn to the topic just because of my personal experience and professional background. But when she was mentioning that it was hard to find, I was like, I can give you a huge list just off the top of my head. I'm so excited to talk about sad books. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So can you tell listeners a little bit about that professional background you alluded to? I was a hospice social worker mm-hmm. and child and teen bereavement uh, counselor for several years. So that means that when you went to work, you would spend your days doing what? I would meet with families and patients and caregivers and talk about what they were going through. They all had a terminal diagnosis of some kind. We may have had them on our service for a a day. We may have had them on our service for six months to a year. It totally, totally depended. But my role as a social worker was providing emotional support, helping them with resources, and really doing whatever would help make a hard situation just a little bit easier, giving them the, the support and guidance that they needed. So when we talk about books today, I'm hoping that we will find titles that will help readers in their own life feel like their hard situation is a little bit easier. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I feel like reading other people's stories, whether it's fiction, memoir, you can't help but filter it through your own experiences and think about how you would respond if you were in the same situation. I am wondering, after your extensive training to become a social worker and entering the field, do you feel like you were well-prepared and you understood what people needed? Or were there moments in your professional life? I mean, how long were you a hospice worker? 
probably six years okay. altogether. Were there moments when you were on that road where you went, oh, wow, like I thought I knew what people needed and I didn't, or I thought I knew what this was like, but maybe I don't. Did your understanding of grief change because of your experience on the job? I would say yes and no. I had experienced some personal loss prior to working for hospice. Uh, my maternal grandparents uh, were both one of 13 children. We have a very large extended family. So I grew up going to funerals, like a sad part of life. Um, and I was closer to some relatives than others. You know, it's just what happens in a family of that size. I understood, or I guess I should say, I had healthy models of grief and what that could look like. But every family is different. And so one one part of my job was getting to understand what does this patient need? What does this family need? Um, where are they doing okay? What can I do to help them figure out how to walk through this a little bit better? But I also experienced two major losses while I was a hospice social worker. Both my great aunt and my grandma went on hospice while I was working for my hospice. So I actually got to pick their team which was my coworkers. And going through that with them, definitely one of the hardest parts of my life as it is, but then also working for hospice at the same time as losing um, dear loved ones was really, really practically impossible. Mm -hmm. There are parts of that, especially the months after my grandma died that I, I don't quite remember. I'm not really sure how I got through them. And so that helped me for sure as a social worker and working with other families to just to have another layer of understanding. Now, when we were unpacking grief books together, a couple of things you pointed out to me was that grief is one of those things that does get written about extensively in fiction and memoir because it's a universal human experience. It's something that we all will experience at some point because that is the cost and risk of relationship. You said something that I found intriguing, and that was that anytime a novel is dealing with this topic heads on, we're automatically drawn to it. Did I say that? <laughs> I'm smart. So when I started thinking about that, I thought, you know what? Like, I really am drawn in to books that make very specific this universal human experience. Like, I wouldn't tell you that I want to read about grief, but I do want to read about one woman in one family going through a hard situation and watching how she experiences that. And sometimes that might be because I'm at a point in my life where I really relate to the character. That can be really cathartic. Sometimes I think it's just because good fiction and good memoir, it's rooted in bad stuff. And just watching how people overcome their personal hardships can be really fascinating. So when I think about my favorite books, I was really surprised to see how often uh, people coping with loss leads to books that are interesting and important and deeply engaging and often profound. If you think about a lot of novels in particular, you'll find loss in there, even if that is not what the book is about. Like Anne Green Gables, it's not really about her being an orphan, although it does come up. So I don't think of that series, you know, being about grief, but it's in there if you think about it. So if a reader wants to get a good idea of one of your favorite books that really highlights what grief can look like on the page. What are a couple of titles that you would toss out there for them to take a look at? My all-time favorite novel is A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving, for sure, about loss. John, the main character, who is our, our narrator, has experienced a few losses. One that is maybe not as obvious is that he doesn't know his father's identity for most of the novel. 
He also experiences the death of his mother when he's young and then the death of his best friend, which is really what is propelling the novel forward. So many times when we hear the word grief, we think of people actually dying. But it was a big revelation to me to realize that the death of hope or the death of a dream or the death of a possibility or a relationship are also really painful and significant things at different stages in people's lives. That And that's what we would refer to as disenfranchised grief. Ooh, I've not heard that. It's the kind of grief that we definitely experience it as a loss, but it may not be widely recognized mm-hmm. by society as a loss. Mm-hmm. So that could include something like miscarriage. Although mm-hmm. I feel like that is becoming more and more widely recognized as a like quote unquote valid type of grief. There's actually a romance novel that I think does that really well. Uh, the Day of the Duchess by Sarah McLean. Romance novels actually deal with miscarriage more than I would have guessed prior to becoming a romance reader. And so it's really interesting to see how romance can grapple with that and how it can bring a couple together or it can tear them apart. And in Day of the Duchess, the couple has had a lot of problems and the wife, Serafina, actually wants a divorce. And this is set um, in England years ago. This is with a a duke. (laughs) She's married to a duke and she wants him to um, dissolve the marriage so that she can have a second chance. And she is just so broken because of the death of their child. She doesn't see a way forward with him. And so the novel is really about them dealing with their grief individually and together as a couple, and then, you know, reconciling. It's ultimately a very hope-filled story, but they go through a lot of hard things to get there. Are you able to articulate what it is about the romance genre that enables it to grapple with this issue really well? Romance is ultimately about hope. You know that you're going to get a happily ever after, but why I read them is to see people who are going through hard circumstances or who have character flaws that they need to overcome and they are actively working on them individually. And then also you see how the couple can complement one another and how mm-hmm. they can help each other grow. That sets it up well to deal with really hard topics that you know we're all facing, whether, whether you're talking about historical fiction or contemporary or paranormal, whatever, there's a lot that we can relate to in those characters. And it's really helpful to see characters that are going through hard things, but still getting their happily ever after, mm-hmm. seeing that no matter who the person is, that they deserve love, they deserve mm-hmm. to be loved. And when you are approaching it from that kind of hopeful stance, I think it makes it easier as a reader to see characters grapple with whatever kind of loss they may be facing. Because you know they're going to be okay. I'm sure a lot of listeners are thinking like, oh, I don't want to read books about grief. That's just morbid. Simultaneously loving a prayer for Owen Meany or not thinking that romance is going to be grappling with these issues. What are some other titles that really fundamentally revolve around a loss. Where do I even begin? (laughs) (laughs) I heard you had a list. I have a list. This may be a good one for people that are not sure they want to read about this topic. Fantastic novel by Abby Waxman that I believe came out last year, The Garden of Small Beginnings. It is a hilarious book. I was drawn to the book because of the description, but I did not anticipate that it was going to be hilarious. (laughs) Lillian, whose husband died in a car accident, it's about her grief, 
but it's also about her figuring out how to move forward with her life and whether she's ready to date again. She starts this garden class as part of her work as an illustrator. Um, And so you get to meet all of her fellow gardeners. So there's great metaphor about gardening as related to grief. And you also see Lily working with a counselor, talking to her sister and her close friends about, you know, where she's at with losing the love of her life. But at the same time, it's hysterical. And I don't know how Abby Waxman did it, but (laughs) it's fantastic. Uh, Another one, maybe a different approach, um, Everything I Never Told You by Mm. Celeste Ng. Mm -hmm. So you know from the beginning, Lydia is dead. I believe that is the very first sentence, actually, of the book. You're right. Um, And so it's it's a mystery because you're trying to figure out how and why did she die. But you also see how the family is dealing with it or not dealing with Mm -hmm. it. So you get to see the perspective of her parents. Just the way that Celeste Ng was able to weave everything together, all these different family dynamics and perspectives, while also moving the mystery forward is just really well done. I was just reading something recently. Actually, you know what? I think it was in in a note I got home from my kid's school, from their language arts teacher. She was talking about how grief is often a topic in young adult books. It's huge in YA. I mean, even just last night, I finished one that is like related to this topic. Mm -hmm. But one that I read about a week ago um, that is a debut um, is called The Beauty That Remains by Ashley Woodfolk. Um, It's actually about three different teenagers and they explore different kinds of losses. So they have not lost the same person. We get to see them cope with their respective losses. So there's Mm -hmm. the loss of a best friend, a twin sister, and an Mm ex-boyfriend. And I just really liked seeing the different kinds of support that they each needed, the ways that they were coping and weren't coping. So you get Mm -hmm. to see healthy and unhealthy responses. And there's definitely sad moments, but it's still filled with so much life. Um, You get to see them figuring out what their new normal is going to look like and and really grappling with, like, what does it look like to move on? Like, am I betraying this person that I loved by thinking about going to a school dance Mm -hmm. or graduating or, you know, because that's also part of, you know, leaving the person behind in some ways is that our lives still carry on. What does that mean for that relationship? Even Mm -hmm. though they're no longer here, does that mean you just put your life on hold? I mean, we shouldn't, but we Mm -hmm. do see people do that all the time. Really, really well-written book. And then there is They Both Die in the End Mm -hmm. by Adam Silvera. The title kind of tells you (laughs) what's Mm going to happen. But it's really about two young men learning to live for the first time and and making peace with events from their past. And these two guys, Mateo and Rufus, are complete strangers in the beginning. Um, And then they become friends. And then there's kind of the promise of something more. I just loved where the story went. And you're kind of hoping that the title will be wrong. It's just so good. And it makes you really think about you know, what would you do if you knew that it was your last day? Would you live any differently or were there, would there be any things that you would try to cram in while you still could? Um, okay. And then the book that you recommended to me on my episode way back in the day. Full circle. Tell Me Three Things by Julie Buxbaum is about Jessie grieving the death of her mom. Further complicated when her dad marries a woman that she that he met online. And so she is starting this brand new life in California um, right before her junior year. I just really, really loved this story. Um, you know, the way that she is navigating her grief, but also figuring out 
her place in this new school and new friendships and old friendships and potential romance. And it made me cry, but it also made me really happy. It's kind of a happier book than, than you might expect. Well, like so much of what we talked about today, like the grief is in the book, but there's so much more going on. Yeah. That's a part of her life, but it's not her. It's not the only thing in her life. Right. Right. Yeah. Another one, I think Jeff Zentner does a fantastic job of exploring different kinds of loss. It's most apparent in Goodbye Days, which has to do with three teenagers who die essentially because of texting while driving. We learn about it from Carver. So he has lost his three best friends. They were the sauce crew. And so you're getting to know these three best friends through Carver, you know, different glimpses of their friendship as a group, but also um, how he related to them one-on-one, how those three families are responding afterward. And so you get to, again, see the different kinds of grieving styles. Some of those families like really made me angry. Uh, yeah, not not a fan of some of those people. But at the same time, you can understand, like you can mm-hmm. understand we're not always going to get like the hallmark moment. And that's just like the messiness of life and the reality of life. But I also liked that you get to see Carver in therapy. And I thought his therapist did a, a really, really great job. So you mentioned that you see healthy and unhealthy responses to difficult things that happen in life in the pages of a book. With your background, do you find it difficult to see someone acting really dysfunctionally in the pages of a book to wish better for them? I mean, how do you react as someone who's trained? Oh, I definitely wish better for them, especially if it's a character who, like, let's say the loss occurred 10 years ago and they Mm -hmm. really have not moved on. I don't mean it in a callous way of like, you know, that everything is all, you know, fresh and clean. If it was the death of maybe a child, maybe the bedroom shouldn't look the exact same way that it did the day that they died 10 years ago. I don't know that we as a society really have grappled enough with what healthy and unhealthy grief looks like in order to point that out in our loved ones when we see it. Are there any books on your list that show a character eventually coming to a healthy response to grief really well or that portray the opposite? Some novels you were mentioning, like Everything I Never Told You, show both simultaneously and the contrast on the pages is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think I probably like those novels best. One book that I thought had a very interesting take, raised a lot of really interesting questions about grief, was The Possessions by Sarah Flannery Murphy. Did you read this one? I started this one and then I closed it and never picked it up again. (laughs) That was going to be my guess for you. (laughs) It was a little much for me. I really liked it. Pretty creepy in in some ways. Mm -hmm. About Edie, who works for the Elysian Society. So the Elysian Society allows paying clients to reconnect with their lost loved ones through these workers that are known as the bodies. Clients come to speak literally to their deceased loved ones, Mm -hmm. kind of like using a medium. Mm -hmm. I guess like their mind or spirit kind of recesses to the background and then the deceased person kind of takes over. It's a really interesting premise because let's say that we actually could do that. Mm -hmm. Should we do that? Does that help people grieve and mourn their loss or does that just kind of keep them stuck in the past? And I think in some cases you could, you could see that it was not a bad choice, but then like the main thing, plot of the novel shows like that's maybe not a good thing (laughs) (laughs) i've noticed that in the uh a lot of popular titles that i'm really loving the specific kind of sorrow spurred by regret 
is a major, major theme. I'm not sure why that is, if that's really cyclical or if I just happen to be noticing right now. It's just so poignant and it gives the reader so much to relate to. These characters, I just want to pull them out of the pages and give them a pep talk and be like, don't you see what you're doing? It doesn't work like that, but I want to desperately. But But it's still a sign of a good book that you relate to the characters enough that you, you know, want to help them somehow. Like you want to make life a little bit easier for them. Mm -hmm. Even though we know we can't, Mm -hmm. we can't do that. It sounds like you don't like books that are like really didactic. Like, let me show you how this situation should be handled with my example right here. Right. Most listeners are the same way, really drawn to books that show people grappling through these issues. I feel like that is what we're drawn to is the struggle. Is that fair? Yes. Give me the struggle. So do some of these books that you think of when you think about the topic, do they just end like in chaos and disaster and emotional, horrifying trauma? No, (laughs) at least none of my favorites end that way. (laughs) It is not that everything, like all the loose ends are tied up, but I think that they do end on maybe not a hopeful note in all cases, but a true to life kind of note or an authentic note maybe Mm -hmm. is a better way of putting it, that there is some kind of understanding or some kind of growth that has come out of the struggle. And maybe not everything is okay right now, but it will be okay in the end, even if we don't see it entirely on the page. Speaking of the struggle, there are lots of memoirs written by authors who have experienced some kind of loss. I have a couple questions. One, why are we drawn to these books? And two, what is it that compels some people to document that in the written form for the public to read on the page? If we've personally experienced loss, I think it's really helpful to see how other people do it Mm -hmm. and to read about those relationships and see what they did well, see where they didn't do as well and and kind of gauge how we're doing. I mean, it's been a few years since I um, had a major loss. But when I read those books now, I'm still kind of taking an internal temperature of like, how how am I doing with this? What am I what am I feeling? I've mostly integrated those losses into my life. But there are still days where I'm caught off guard and there's still hard days and holidays and, you know, random things can can make um, those loved ones come to mind and, and you have to kind of sit with it for a while. And so I feel like memoirs are just another way of helping me to mourn my own losses. And that there's a healthy dose of, I thought it was just me, but but watch this other person. We're not alone. My noteworthy standout memoirs that really at their heart have a heavy grief component to them, like H is for Hawk. That's the purpose of writing that book. And I'm thinking of pretty much anything that Kelly Corrigan has ever written. Yes. (laughs) But it's interesting to see people going through universal experiences, yet handling them in a very specific way, which is not the way that I necessarily would react to them. Uh, Sometimes I feel like I'm reading about something before it happens to me, and yet I know it's going to happen to me, like significant losses Mm -hmm. in life. And sometimes I like seeing on the pages, like, oh, I've been there too. I like to, it's interesting to see how that affected you. There's so many ways to be and so many ways to to approach life. And it it is really interesting to see how people respond to those ups and downs. I think it it also helps us figure out how do we actually respond? Like if you were to ask me, Lee, what is your grief style? Even though like technically because of my professional background, I should be able to talk about that. I, I would still have to kind of sit back for a minute and be like, well, how, how do I grieve? How, what is, what is typical for me? 
And then when you're reading a memoir, you can kind of be like, oh, yeah, I do that too. Or no, I don't do that. Should I do that? I wouldn't think about my grief style until I saw how someone else was doing it differently. That would give me the distance to like see my own behavior more clearly. What are some novels and memoirs you love that you wouldn't want readers to miss? If it would make them happy to add sad books to their TBR. Let's not call them sad books, though. Let's let's just call them life, reality, relationship books. <laughs> what the right term is. Like, because a lot of these books are not, I, I, yes, they deal with sad things. But I don't think of them as sad books. I think of them as stories. Like they're good stories, but they happen to deal with sad things. All right. Tell me about some good stories. I mean, When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanathi is just different because you are getting the perspective of someone who is dying and we don't get to read his experience of, you know, his final week. Um, we instead get to hear from his widow about, about that experience. But just the way that he was able to write, you know, from a, his perspective as someone who is a physician, it was just so rich and um, informative and insightful. And I really hope that people who who read it were able to have better conversations with their own families and to think about what their wishes would be in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. I feel like he gave us a huge, huge gift. And that book has sold and continues to sell bazillions of copies. So clearly it's striking a chord. Yeah. Here If You Need Me by Kate Braystrup. Oh, I don't know that one. She's a chaplain for the game warden service in Maine. The book is about the death of her husband who was killed in a car accident. And he actually had the dream of becoming a Unitarian minister. She ended up seeing that dream through for him. So it kind of became her dream. And then she ended up working for the game warden service from there, um, which does all of the search and rescue operations when people go missing. So you have her own personal account of loss, but then also how she is coming alongside families who are who are grieving Um, And and in some cases, the game wardens were able to find the missing people. And in some cases, it does not have as happy of an ending. Uh, So it's just great insights about grief and loss and faith and doubt and resilience. It's pretty short, but it's packed with a lot of wisdom. Another one is A Homemade Life by Molly Weisenberg. (sighs) Yes. It's a great food memoir, but it is it is really about the death of her father and um, wrestling with with that loss. The memories of her dad and memories of cooking with him and really well written. Okay, so Before Everything by Victoria Riddell uh, is about this woman, Anna, and her group of friends. Uh, Anna has decided that she is not going to have any more cancer treatments and she's going to start hospice. Um and we get a lot of her perspective, which was super moving. You you get to see the confusion growing as her body and brain are slowing down, contrasted with these different memories from her past. And you see her withdrawing more. Um, we still get to see what her thought process is as, um, as she's preparing to die. Lee, this sounds really sad. It is sad, but it is also about this group of friends. So mm-hmm. you, you get to see her old friends, um, which is how they refer to themselves, <laughs> yeah. uh, the people that have known Anna since junior high. Um, and and all of these, it's just so many memories and it kind of 
flits around from like the present to the past. And I, at first I didn't know what to make of the book structurally, but then it, it kind of reminded me of when I'm with my best friends and how our conversation can go all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of being dropped into that. And then Riddell also includes the perspective of Anna's local friends. And so all of these different friend groups have different experiences of Anna um, and, and different grieving styles as a result and different perspectives on her decision to start hospice. Um, not everyone is on board with her decision to stop. They've been able to convince her in the past to try treatment again, mm-hmm. um, which has bought her, you know, another year or two here. At one point, I think she talks about things that she doesn't have to deal with anymore. Like she's never going to shave her legs again. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just really appreciated seeing how her community is responding to her. And really thinking through what that might look like for me and my friends. My 20-year high school reunion is this fall. Just in the past year, I've had a few different classmates that have died, some due to cancer, some due to accidents. And just realizing like, yeah, we are are at that age where this is going to be happening more often, Mm -hmm. which some people might say like that is a morbid perspective, but I think it's a realistic perspective. Like, I know that this is going to happen at some point to me or or to my friends. And so what would I want from my friends? How can I come alongside my friends? I think it's really helpful. That's one of the things I loved about Kelly Corgan's Tell Me More is Kelly has a friend dying of cancer, which is horrible and you wouldn't wish on anyone. But just the way that Kelly is a friend to her friend makes you think like, that is what I want out of my life. And that's the kind of friend I want to be. So it was, it was so hopeful and it was inspiring and instructive in the best kind of like watching somebody else doing it kind of way. Cause she wasn't trying to tell you how to live. She was showing you what her life was like with her friend. And oh, it was, yeah, it was so much, much Kleenex was utilized during the reading of that book. But I want everybody to read it. You know, it's one of those books that think like, oh, I think the world would be a better place if everyone read this book. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with you on all, on all of her books, really. She's just letting us come alongside her as, as she's figuring things out. I want more people to write like that. Yeah, that's that's something I love about a good story that we will not characterize as sad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so along along those same lines, I would say Rachel Kong's Goodbye Vitamin, mm. uh, which has one of the best covers. It's very, very bright and cheerful, and you don't necessarily know what you're getting into based on the cover. Yeah, yeah, Uh, or the title, because what does that mean? It's a very interesting, kind of quirky novel. Ruth moves back in with her parents after, actually, her fiancé breaks up with her, um, and her dad um, has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I think it's early onset, which is a little different from the Alzheimer's that we think of. Because she's like 30, isn't she? Yeah, so it has to be early onset. So you see the relationship that Ruth has with her parent and you understand why she has not visited home very much or at all um, in the last however many years. And they kind of have to recalibrate due to her dad's illness. Do you see him declining in, in the beginning stages of, of Alzheimer's? But you also see Ruth really taking stock of her understanding of who her dad is and who he has been as a father and who he has been as a husband, which are very different things. And you can kind of understand why Ruth's mom doesn't really want to be involved in the caregiving. I really like how she built the story. And it's also, there's a lot of really quirky elements to it. It just, it worked for me. That's a great one for your list, but also not one that I would have thought of in that way. 
What else should we not miss? Okay, in, in the romance category, we've got to talk about Idlewild by Jude Sierra, which is just one of the best LGBTQ romances that I've ever read. Heartachingly good, <laughs> very sweet story. Um, and it has to do with Asher whose husband and business partner in their restaurant that they owned, um, he died years ago. And he thinks that he's dealt with his grief um, and he kind of thinks that he's ready to date again. But you come to see that he really hasn't processed his loss at all. So the way that he and Tyler are starting out their relationship and how his grief become or his unresolved grief becomes more and more of an issue was just uh, really, really well done. And the characterization is just fantastic. Um, and it's set in, de- in the Detroit restaurant scene, which I thought was fascinating. So if you like foodie fiction, mm. this would be another great choice. Mm. And if you don't like super steamy reads, this is more, I would say, of a semi-open door or a closed door romance. It's a good choice for people who don't want it to be as explicit as some other books can be. Mm-hmm. Lee, something you pointed out to me was that there are actually a good number of prescriptive books out there about grief. Nonfiction, meant to be instructive, meant to tell you how things are and help you find your way when you are at a place in your life where you're seeking out a book on how to deal with what is happening in your life. Could you leave our listeners with a few titles that you most frequently recommended for people in this kind of situation, which could be any number of situations because they're often broken down by loss, but could you share a few of your favorites? Yeah, I think Alan Wolfelt, anything that he's written is just fantastic. He is a renowned grief expert and he's just written so many different titles. But if you if you live in the Fort Collins, Colorado area, you can actually go to his center for grief and loss transition. And he has a bookstore there. Um, it's also like just a beautiful, beautiful place. I've done a couple of trainings with him. He has two uh, main series that are called Healing Your Grieving Heart. And there's 100 Practical Ideas. And really for any kind of loss you can imagine, there is a title along those lines. And then Understanding Your Grief would be another. And if you are looking for stories that are about hospice or palliative care specifically, I would point you to With the End in Mind, which is by Catherine Mannix. She's a physician in England. I really like how she how she structured it and how it can invite further conversation between you and your family. Okay. Lee, one more thing I want to talk about before you go. And that is, I know a lot of readers don't really want to read books where sad things happen because they feel like life is sad enough. And I can understand that. There are definitely times that I I don't want to read a sad book or a potentially sad book. But at the same time, grief is a part of life. Um, It's a part of our relationships. And I feel like those stories can be so powerful. I do notice that if I haven't cried in a while, I might pick up a book along along these lines to help me cry because I know you know that it's good for me. It's good for the soul to let those emotions out, especially for my particular personality. <laughs> I don't think it's good to completely insulate ourselves from these books because chances are you will be in this situation someday. And so if you can glean from other people, whether it's fiction or not, you can start to think about how you how you will approach that in the future and be healthier and stronger as a result which is something that I think is really, really important for us and and why we need to talk about it as mm-hmm. a society more and why I'm glad that there are more and more stories like this that are coming out. 
That being said, it was enormously freeing for me to hear another writer I really respect, Elizabeth Foss, say once, I think on her blog, because of personal things she'd experienced, she just categorically did not read. It was either books about cancer or books about moms with cancer. If the mom dies, she's not reading it. I was like, oh, that's fine. Like you could, you can totally do that. So I know that we have lots Mm -hmm. of listeners who don't read books where bad things happen to children or, you know, like I let you go. I totally respect that for sure. Certain triggers. And that can be really complicated with fiction, especially because that could be a plot twist. Like that may come out of nowhere. I've been trying with a lot of my reviews to add content warnings like that. I want readers to go in fully armed and aware if that's important to them. Yes. And I remember someone telling me once, I'm wondering if I heard this discussed on books on the nightstand. That's a possibility. Anna Michael, if you're listening, I'd like verification. (laughs) The reader was talking about how they were donating lots and lots of books to a shelter for abused women. And that's not something that gets regularly listed in the publisher's description, you know, like to know if a book is okay to give to people who are coming out of something really difficult and do not need to be triggered by reading about it. So there's a really great paragraph in Taylor Jenkins Reid's novel, One True Loves, This woman moves back in with her parents, grieving the loss of her spouse. And she reads a book because her family owns a bookstore and she believes in bibliotherapy, but the husband dies. She throws the book across the room and her parents are like, oh, honey. So she comes downstairs later and her parents have stacks and stacks of novel and novels and they're looking at every page. So pretty soon she has this enormous basket of books where no one dies that she can read. And I thought, oh, that is the sweetest act of love. I love that. And I think that's a beautiful place for us to end this episode. Or maybe it's just not a sad place to end. And I don't want to end on a sad note. So this has been wonderful, Lee. Thank you so much for talking books with me today. It was great to be here. Readers, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I hope you found some wonderful and helpful titles to add to your to-be-read list. Please check out Lee's new book, A Storied Life, just out July 12th and available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iBooks, and for Kobo. It's realistic women's fiction and covers serious subject matter, of course, but it's also fun for the way Lee weaves together family ties, the art world, a budding romance with a cute guy, the Chicago White Sox, and yeah, terminal cancer to create a great read. I hope you'll check it out. We'll put links in show notes. Follow Lee at her blog, LeeKramer.com and on Instagram at Lee Kramer. That's Lee, L-E-I-G-H, Kramer with a K. Visit that site for more on her publishing journey and also for great book recommendations, like her recent post on her favorite nonfiction books about death, dying, and grief inspired by this episode. Lee and I also talked extensively after recording this episode about the problems with emotionally manipulative books and also TV shows designed to make you cry on purpose that cover the subject of grief. And I'm hoping she'll write about it on her blog or cover this in an Instagram story. So follow along, LeeKramer.com and at LeeKramer. Lee and I would love to hear if a book ever helped you through grief. Please do visit the comment section and share the books that have been important to you in comments. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 137. That's also where you'll find the full and long list of titles we talked about today. That's whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 137. Next week, we have another great episode coming your way. Here's a clue. The librarian is in, or maybe I should say librarians. Here's a peek. 
libraries for a really long time have been so many things to so many people. We do a tremendous number of things. Somewhere in there, books got a little bit lost. And so I think there was kind of an effort to bring books and reading back to the forefront of what our sort of core mission and goals were right. without getting rid of any of the other really important things that we do, but also to bring a focus kind of back to reading. And so that's when reader services. There was, was a, like, I think, and I wonder if you agree, like th there was a panic situation, at least for me, for a couple of years, about 10 years ago, about the rise of digital, the rise of the internet, where do we get information, how do we read books, that made libraries and librarians wonder, like, where are we? What, what are we doing? Where, where are we going to be? Like, was what we did over? And I think what Gwen said is absolutely right, but what's also even as important is that it was matched by the public's desire. It wasn't like, we're going to focus on reading because we're a library. Mm -hmm. The public was like, we love reading too. And it, it became, what happened is all, all the digital stuff just made more choice. Now you can read a physical book, you can read a digital book, you can read however you want. It's a landscape of choice that is now leveled off and everybody's sort of talking about books. That's coming next Tuesday. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And while you're at it, please leave us a review on iTunes. Here's a recent review from Books100, which is an amazing username. Here's what she says. She calls this favorite podcast and says in her five-star review, this podcast has greatly impacted my reading life. Sometime between finishing school and my first year's teaching, my reading life dropped to almost non-existent because I often had no idea what to read. A friend recommended this podcast to me a year and a half ago, and now I am never without a good book to read. I enjoy the pacing and format of the podcast, as well as how diverse the guests have gotten over time. I look forward to every new episode. Thank you so much, Books 100. Please go to iTunes listeners and leave us your own five-star review. It really does help other readers find What Should I Read Next, which fills our bookish podcaster hearts with joy around here. Thanks in advance for that. And to stay up to date on all the bookish news and happenings around here, subscribe to our newsletter at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. If you're on Twitter, let me know there, at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there, at Ann Bogle, and at What Should I Read Next. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick, with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.